Welcome into another episode of the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunts and BC here on Wednesday. The Indians haven't lost since the last time you listened to this podcast. And quite frankly, that's the most important news of the day, I would think. I mean, I somewhere there was probably a very disappointed Scott Hattieberg last night that the, the Indians got it done. But congratulations to your boys nonetheless. Is Scott Hattieberg code word for disappointed Michael Brunts? Uh, yes. I was rooting hard against the Indians last night and to no avail. I, I, I couldn't do anything for him. I'm sorry. It's, I mean, it's totally fine. I, I'm willing to just let the streak uh, ride itself out. I think there's only about 20, uh, 28 more wins from glory at this point with the World Series. So that's, uh, that's what's important here. But nobody wants any uh, TP talk, I suppose. So we'll just move right into Nebraska football. They sit 1-1 one and one after a um, interesting... Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, interesting game in in Eugene. Brian, do you have any just kind of thoughts to as we kind of wade into the game that was out in Oregon? I like how Mike Riley came out with the Dukes up on Monday at the press conference because I don't think his team nor his coaching staff was accepting it as a moral victory. I didn't get that feeling at all, like in the post game. But I do think. For a fan base, and this is understandable, that has witnessed so many things where the, the train has just gone completely off the tracks and it was 42-14, to 14, there was some relief in them fighting back and getting close. And that was kind of in the air a little bit. And I like that Mike Riley came in and said, yeah, that doesn't make you feel any better. You look at the film and it's just a lost opportunity. You see plays here on offense that where you could have had you know, 14, 21 more points. You see... A bunch of just missteps on defense in the first half where uh, you made it too easy for them. And there's there's nothing that sh- should make a guy over there feel good about themselves. It should make you feel sick. And I love that he kind of had that fight. And, you know, I think that has to mean something to the players and coaches when they hear Mike Riley say stuff like that. In, in your conversations with the players and coaches post that press conference from Mike Riley, did you feel like that attitude was sort of reiterated around those guys? It seemed like it to me. Um, I mean, they certainly, if he didn't flat out use those words with them in a meeting room, which I'm guessing he probably did, but if he didn't, they heard about it. There was no doubt. And, you know, they're what do you expect them to say? Of course, they, they're saying they're, they're going to bounce back and all that stuff. It seems genuine enough. At this point, I understand where Husker fans are in that state, though, where they say, prove it to me. Like, I, I hear the words, it sounds good, I have to see the action now. And, you know, I was just talking with Brumps about this before we got, went on here. Nebraska's got to win the next four games. I mean, there's no other way to spin it. They've got to take care of these three games that people kind of expect them to, even though I don't think they're going to be easy. They got to win those, and then they got to beat Wisconsin. Otherwise, if we're sitting here in early October, they're probably in a tough spot of winning the division, and there's a lot of people who are just going to go, meh, just the same season I've seen before. Brooks? I, I think going back, and I watched that game again on, on Monday, and it really didn't get any better with age. Um, I think that, you know, Nebraska should feel legitimately ticked because even though they had the first half that they had. I mean, with eight minutes left in that third quarter, they're, like I kind of had the feeling that they could, still have, could have still pulled that game out. I mean, 
Oregon wasn't really doing anything. Nebraska was moving the ball at will. Door was open. And then the whole, you know, the bottom just kind of falls out on the offense. They punt three times and get intercepted once. I think that, you know, what BC says right, where you you do have to go out and and win the next four games. I mean, I I think you have to take care of those three that you definitely should. I mean, I think Rutgers, Illinois, and Purdue aren't going to be, you know, world beaters by any means. I think Nebraska should be able to handle those guys. And, and then, you know, Nebraska's been so close against Wisconsin uh, the last few years, and I, I, I just feel like they're going to be more competitive this year. The thing is, is, you know, I, I think they do need to show that this year is somehow different because it really kind of has turned a little bit into Groundhog's Day for this program for the last I mean, you could go back 10 years probably that it, it's, you know, that they're winning the games that they should. But, um, you know, when it kind of comes down to nut cutting time, it's not happening. So, okay, so I'm always <laughs> I, I'm ready to move on from that. <laughs> BC wants to giggle, but um, nothing wrong with that. All right. Uh, I, I always wonder, you get these kind of games where Nebraska faces Northern Illinois. I want to say they're a 14-and-a-half-point favorite or somewhere around that line. What is it that you would like to see Nebraska go out and do, aside from maybe covering the spread or double-digit win, whatever you want to call it? What is it in these games that you want to see coming off of a loss like Oregon that you can take away and go forward with as they took the right steps. I mean, I don't think that it's going to be a situation where Nebraska comes out and pitches a two-half shutout. Like, I think that's unrealistic. But what is it about this game Saturday, or what can they do this game Saturday, where Nebraska fans could look at it and think, okay, well, they lost in Eugene, but at least they turned around and they did blank. Well... It's not, I don't think people expect utter dominance, but I think they want to see defensive series sprinkled throughout the game, like the last series, or the second to last series when they made Oregon punt when it was a seven-point game. That was the defense, and and players talked about it after the game, where it's like, yeah, that's been showing up all offseason, we just haven't shown it to anybody yet. That kind of flying around where you feel like there's four or five guys gang tackling and everybody's on fire about football. They need some of those, and I think they need them early in this game. You know, it's an 11 a.m. game, so it's going to be a little sleepy right off the bat for the fans, and it would be a big deal if if Nebraska gets the ball and has one of those possessions where it just looks like clockwork, and then the defense comes out and makes that big play or has that series where you're like, okay, these guys um, are energized, and they are using that momentum from the second half and carrying it forward, and I think that could wake people up in a hurry. That was the, the thing that was the most striking to me about that first half at Oregon wasn't necessarily what Oregon was doing scheme-wise or, or what Nebraska wasn't doing. It just seemed it, – it almost looked to me like Nebraska was playing defense in a seven-on-seven drill. Like, complete the pass, get up, get to the line of scrimmage. Like, it, it, there wasn't any – passion no intensity and and, you know we had seen during fall camp like you know when they were in scrimmage situations the defense was playing with a little bit of attitude I think that's been probably the most surprising thing to me in these first two games is that Nebraska's defense has gotten in these games and and they just look like they're on their heels right from the get-go and I don't know if that's 
you know, you, you, you have a team moving the ball on you for a couple times, if you get a little beaten down by it, if there's confusion there or, or what. But I feel like sometimes the, the attitude thing and the energy almost helps to make up for not being perfect on what you're supposed to be doing on a play or, you know, if a guy doesn't get home on a blitz, you know, doing something on that play to affect it. Like, it, it just, I don't know, it just didn't look right to it's me. It looked to me almost, I don't know what the word is, formulaic or something. Like, there's this, for, like, we, they've concocted, Diaco concocted this plan and guys bought into it, but guys are so in tune with, okay, we got to do this exactly like this. Rigid? And, yeah, yeah, and you, you kind of lose that fluidity of playing football and just, like, going, you know, and, and going 100 miles an hour. And that's how it's felt to me the first game and a half on defense watching Nebraska. Rigid's the word. Um, where it's like guys are just stiff out there, you know. And then in the second half, it looked different. Oregon help. Everybody knows that. that I, we get that. They slowed the game down. They played in Nebraska's strengths. I think if there's an encouraging thing, it's that there are going to be teams Nebraska sees, like in the Big Ten West, like Minnesota and Wisconsin, that are going to want to play that game a little bit more inside the box, kind of like Oregon did in the second half. And at least Nebraska showed in that particular instance they could do okay against it. Yeah. Uh, Change this up a little bit because we're now a few days past that game and we don't have to to get into all of it, but maybe a couple players or a couple moments or a couple things that you saw that you liked or that really stood out to you. I mean, for me in particular, I've wondered since the day Bob Diaco was hired and it was mentioned that Mick Stoltenberg would move to nose tackle, how he was going to hold up, how he was going to play. I mean, there's questions about his his health long-term, is his knees and, and everything going to hold up to the beating of having three Lineman against you, I've often questioned because he's a guy that plays at a high pad level. Is he going to be able to maintain leverage because you can get turned out of there pretty easily? You're six foot five. You don't have natural leverage. Uh, I thought Mick Stoltenberg the last two weeks has put to bed almost every concern that I was able to drum up throughout the spring. I mean, I get that it's only two weeks, and there's still the long-term question of how he'll hold up. But I thought that, especially in the second half against Oregon, and at times against Arkansas State, I mean, he gave Nebraska everything they needed, the inside there, to to keep linebackers clean, to allow that defense to flow east-west when they had to, or to just kind of bottle up Royce Freeman or other guys trying to go up the middle. Yeah, I thought he, he's he been good, I think. I think DeAndre Thomas has really stood out there, too. I mean, the, the play of both of those guys are basically why we haven't seen Damian Daniels yet, I think. Which is a good thing for Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if they'll get to that point with it, but um, both of those guys have been really good in the middle of the defense. I think Aaron Williams has been quietly solid for Nebraska, as he always is. I mean, I, I don't know that he really does anything uh, in, in a flashy manner, but... Uh, he had a really good game against Oregon, I thought, for the most part, and especially uh, with Kalu out of the game, really stepped up and made some plays. Um, you know, I, I think another guy, I mean, Trey Bryant, obviously, Matt Farniak, I mean, there's been some guys that have stepped up and, and played pretty well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that really would fit that, that mold. I think Spielman is definitely for a a young guy, redshirt freshman. I just love the way he has an attitude on the field. Like, 
you want to see a few more guys like that almost. You know, forget about the kick return, which was awesome the first week. You know, they go to Spielman on a fourth down play when they're trying to come back on Saturday. Fourth and five, he goes across the middle and catches it, gets up, does the first down signal. Some people might not love that. I kind of liked it. It was a little spunk that team needed something. Um, I just like how plucky he is. And, I mean, Ty John Lindsay is going to start making some plays, too, for this offense. But J.D. Spielman is going to be one of the top three weapons on this offense this year, I think, three or four. Do you, do you like it when guys pimp home runs? Just wondering. <laughs> a little attitude. I like. I don't mind that. I think baseball could use a little bit more. Of that. So that, I don't want to get in a little, little bit. A little bad flip. But, that Jose Batista yeah. bat flip. I didn't mind it, especially in the playoffs. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't want to. I mean, I don't want to get sidetracked here, but <laughs> I. I know. I think this is a very interesting discussion. No beef with it. You know, Stephon Diggs punting the ball into the upper deck after a touchdown is that the best move? I don't know. That I was don't hate it. Like, I Nick think Nolte got... approved of that one. I mean, pretty much any celebration that comes after the Vikings score an offensive touchdown, I'm not going to yeah. be upset about. I just think, not to go off on a tangent, but we, we try to make these guys robots sometimes, and it's a fun game. Let them have fun. Anyhow. Speaking of wide receivers, <laughs> one guy that I think has been interesting to me just from his wide receiver role I think DeMorne Pierce-Sanel has looked very good. Uh, I think that he is in line for a pretty strong season. I mean, I don't think he's going to put up record-breaking numbers or anything, but I think he can be a really good number two option. You saw what he's capable of in the corner of the end zone. I mean, there's very few wide receivers that have his vertical ability and hand strength to kind of be able to make those sort of jumping plays when he's about five foot seven, five eight, And so um, I, I've been... Pretty pleased uh, with the production Nebraska's gotten with Pearsonell. He's kind of a guy that I've always kind of wondered if we're going to sit back and think he peaked as a freshman because of unfortunate luck, injuries, and timing. And, and I think he has an opportunity to sort of rewrite the whole finish. I'm really interested to what he's going to do at punt returner going forward because I, I think he senses that there's some people who might be doubting him a little bit, that he's a little skittish back there. And he was so disappointed in himself that he didn't return that last one against Oregon. And if he would have, it would have gone a long ways. I mean, you look at that again, the whole side of that field was open. That was, that was, it was disappointing. He might have taken that one to the house. But I, knowing his kind of mentality, I just think he's going to have an edge back there and do something big in the next few weeks. It was interesting going back and looking at the, the targeting, or who was targeted, I guess, late in that game, receptions-wise. And I want to say Pearsonell was only targeted maybe like once um, in, in the last quarter and a half. And, you know, you, you Stanley Morgan obviously has been a favorite target for, for Tanner Lee so far, but I, I think you really do have to probably do a better job of, of mixing in personnel, especially when you get in situations where the offense is just completely stalled like it was there. Yeah, uh, I, I think you're, you're absolutely correct in that regard, and that's one of those things that we'll see this weekend. I mean, it'll be kind of interesting what Nebraska's offense looks like, particularly if – Trey Bryant isn't playing. Uh, is Mikhail Wilbon going to have the kind of success? I mean, Bryant said 299 yards rushing through two games. And I think if he was healthy and good to go this week, he would put up another big number against Northern Illinois. I've been very impressed by him. He's one of those guys that I probably prematurely wrote off as just, just another back. And he's 
much better than I expected. Uh, the physical style in which he runs is good, and, and if he just had the ability to kind of hit that home run, he had a couple opportunities against Oregon when Nebraska was coming back where it just felt like he was one broken tackle away from at least a 40, 50-yard run uh, against a defense that was reeling a little bit. Let's say Bryant doesn't play, because on Wednesday, as we're recording this, we don't know specifically. Mike Riley said the decision would probably be made today. Uh, we don't talk to him again until Thursday, so that's when everybody's going to find out. If he doesn't play, do you think Nebraska's running game can kind of maintain? They they didn't play that well against Oregon. Bryant did. The, the group overall, there wasn't much there. Do you think Nebraska can put up a pretty strong running game against Northern Illinois? Or is it more of a product of what Trey Bryant has been doing through two weeks relative to what's been open for him? You could make an argument this is the biggest game of Mikhail Wilbon's career because he might be the have that opportunity as the guy to finally show, okay, here's what I can do if I get the ball 18 to 20 times in a game. And now think about the situation with Jalen Bradley, who's going to play, Mike Riley said, and I don't expect him to be heavy in the running back rotation right off the bat, but they're not bringing him in um, and burning the red shirt just to have him play special teams all year. They're obviously thinking this guy's got a ceiling that's pretty high over the next few weeks. Maybe he is that guy who becomes that second back with Bryant. Wilbon's got to kind of close that door in an individual competition on that and show, no, I'm that guy right now. You'll have your turn, but not yet. And so this is a big game for him. Then. So he, their motivation should be as sky high as ever for him. It was interesting. You guys were in the, the press conference room on Monday, so you weren't out during this interview. But a reporter sort of made a, a remark that Wilbon only gets a handful of carries a game. And he snapped at that. Mm-hmm. Like he, was, he was very direct and letting that reporter know that the game plan and and the, the way carries are allocated can change drastically and quickly. Uh, so he does not see himself as someone whose just role it is is to clean up a little bit for Trey or to step in for Trey. So I, I think that there, I mean, you're talking about attitude. I think Mikhail Wilbon senses this opportunity and senses kind of what's in front of him. Uh, and Reggie Davis said as much on uh, Monday after practice. So it's going to be interesting how they balance some of that out. Divino Zigbo may see his first action this year. Um, he was talked about by Reggie Davis that Ozigbo's frustrated by sort of the situation that's going on with him, but nobody really went into specifics as to why or where he is on the depth chart uh, at running back. It is, it's going to be pretty interesting to see what shakes out there. And, and I think... Nebraska could really make this the kind of game where if they wanted to focus on the running game and really work some kinks out or figure out what they have, they're going to have that opportunity. It'll be interesting. I mean, Northern Illinois is a top 25 rushing defense right now. They don't give up a lot of big plays in the run game. Um, you know, the, the the thing that will probably determine who plays in that room, though, is going to be, I think, the pass protection. I mean, if you listen to Mike Riley this week, He's mentioned a number of times that they haven't been able to keep Tanner Lee uh, free from from pressure. Um, I know you know late in that game there were some issues with him getting hit or guys picking up the wrong rusher or blitzer. I, th- I think that 
you know, that, that's one area where Wilbon probably needs to get a little bit better. And, and, I mean, frankly, is one reason why Trey Bryant saw the field as much as he did late in the season last year. Uh, Terrell Newby as well. Um, but I, I think there is an opportunity to kind of come out and, and, and make a statement right away and take control of that game on the ground. Because I, I think the last thing you probably want to do is to come out, throw the ball around and not have success, and then have Northern Illinois with its – RPO offense going to have its have its crack at Nebraska. It usually shows itself, doesn't it, when people kind of say, why isn't this guy playing? Why isn't that guy playing? And over the course of the games, more often than not, there have been examples when I've covered the team where there's been a few where I've been like, I don't know why that guy's not on the field. But usually it's pretty evident after a few games, this is exactly why he's not on the field. And that's why I'm always really slow to jump on a coach when I haven't seen what they've seen. Um, as to why somebody's not playing. And I think running back's an example of that. You see it with pass protection, like Bronze was saying. You know, Bryant does it better than everybody else. And that's something if you can't do, you're not going to play in this offense. Well, and people scoff at it, but you see sort of the importance of it when you are trailing and you're having to try to make a comeback and your quarterback's getting teed off on. I mean, it's a... It's an important part of the game, and it's one that Nebraska's kind of been fortunate because they've had a string of running backs for a while that were pretty good at picking up uh, free rushers. And that, you know, I think has continued with Trey Bryant, but if he's not in, I think there is a pretty big drop for the next guy. And, and to be honest, the next best one is already a freshman in Jalen Pratt. Yeah. And that's maybe why he's going to see some opportunity that they weren't entirely sure what was going to happen. So, uh, should we close the book on Oregon and NIU prep talk? Is there anything else you want to get into? I don't think so. You want to talk pocket squares? Uh, I don't know that we need to get into that, but Bob Diaco was wearing a five-star pocket square after Saturday's game. Speaking of five-star... And matching socks. Segway, by the way. (laughs) Go ahead. Let's just jump into some some recruiting before we finish with some... uh, some AD news. Uh, Steve Wilfong made a prediction this weekend, or not weekend, made a prediction, was it Monday? Monday or Tuesday? Uh, I believe Monday. Yeah, made a prediction for Nebraska to end up with five-star defender Micah Parsons, likely an outside linebacker. Micah visited Nebraska for Friday Night Lights at the end of June, uh, where he participated had his name chanted by the uh, several thousand that were in attendance, played wide receiver and made several catches uh, that, you know, I, I think that if he were to end up in college somewhere, I don't think wide receiver would be his position, but it showed you his athleticism uh, that he has. This would be, I think, Nebraska's number one target at this point on their board. Um, that has kind of changed a little bit. At one point I thought Talanoa... Fungo was their number one target. Um, you know, TJ Pledger maybe. Joshua Moore when he was being recruited and he wasn't committed. Certainly Brennan Radley-Hiles when he was in that boat. But I think right now, Micah Parsons would be Nebraska's number one on the board. So it, it sets up kind of interesting scenario where Nebraska – has, obviously, I think a pretty good opportunity. Wilt Vong, who's about 90% on his crystal ball picks, does not usually make these without some level of feel-good information, both from the recruit side and 
and the school side. And so I, I think that he has a pretty good understanding of, of the inner workings of what's going on there with Ohio State, Penn State, Nebraska, who's recruiting who, who's got the best shot with who, some other recruits that are involved that might be dictating how some of this slides about. How big of a get with what you've seen from this defense and what you think Michael Parsons could be? I mean, is this kind of a shot in the arm for Nebraska as they make this 3-4 transition if they were to pull off some sort of, you know, I think heist here with the, the type of talent that's available. Well, he would be the, the number one all-time recruit rankings-wise at Nebraska, so that would be okay. So um, that seems like a pretty dumb question in retrospect. What is he overall right now? Uh, he is number four overall, um, according to 24-7 Sports. Number five in the 24-7 Sports composite and just hundreds of a, of a uh, ranking point ahead of where Marlon Lucky was coming out of high school so and lucky was 17th um overall in, in his uh his class of 2005 so in that sense that would be a big one um i don't know that nebraska on its roster right now has somebody that they feel comfortable to play that cat position in the three four i mean luke gifford is doing a heck of a job there um but you know, the, the two guys who were playing that position in fall camp, Alex Davis and Cedric King, um, I, I don't I don't know that they're the future at that spot. And I think that if you get a guy like Parsons who's athletic, at, as athletic as he is at 235, 240 pounds, being an early enrollee can come in right away and, you know, definitely throw his hat in the ring for playing right away, let alone starting. Yeah, I don't say it lightly, but I thought about it a little the past couple of days. It would be it would be by far to me the most incredible Husker recruiting victory since I've been covering the team. Not just because he's highly ranked and because he can fit right in and play, but think about where he's located. Think about Penn 90 State. Ninety miles from Penn State. Penn State just won the Big Ten championship. Ohio State always recruits Pennsylvania well, and it's Ohio State. And if you won that fight, when Penn State is going strong, we'll see what they do this year. Maybe Penn State falls off. I don't expect they will, really. That's amazing. I mean, you got to put that in perspective. You don't just go into somebody else's. I mean, just sometimes you got to think about it this way. What if Nebraska had a kid within their borders like that and Penn State or Ohio State came in and took him away? People would lose their minds about it. I mean, they wouldn't get out of bed for a week. <laughs> so, so to answer your question, it's yes, pretty. that would be significant. <laughs> that was interesting perspective right there. Uh, we'll move, we'll shift from, from Micah Parsons to some official visitors this weekend. Three that we know of for sure that will be here. Brian Addison, who is sort of fascinating because... I don't know what position he's going to play as a guesstimate six foot four. I mean, he's in between. I've seen heights listed at six five and six three and a half. So let's just split it and say six four. Six foot four, defensive athlete, could be a wide receiver, but more likely wants to play on the defensive side of the ball. Would like to play corner, but that's almost too big uh, for for corner. You could see him at safety. This is a guy Nebraska was very interested in in the spring, and he was actually set to commit at one point in time. I want to say 
shortly after Nebraska's spring game. He was he was set to announce his commitment. There were several schools in the running. It looked like UCLA was probably the one that he was going to pick at the time. Uh, he held off in part because I think Dante Williams, Nebraska, reached out and said, hey, you know, if you're going to do this, fine, but we really want you to come out and see Nebraska before you make any decisions. We want, you know, we think that we've got a thing for you here that, that could really utilize your strengths, your skills, your athleticism. And so he held off on that commitment. And I think Nebraska's got an opportunity this weekend to kind of show him what they've got, what they need on defense. I think they're going to be trailing no matter how good the visit goes because a guy that is uh, just down the road in San Mateo uh, going to UCLA, I mean, that's going to be a tough, tough to pull him away from there. I think the Bruins are probably the top and USC's sniffing around as well. I think Oregon's involved. Um, but Addison, real interesting guy. His teammate, Kobe Smith, a wide receiver, I swear I've been writing about for five years, but it's really only been seven months. But uh, Nebraska kind of was his leader in the beginning of March. And I don't know if that has really changed because he has a really good relationship with Keith Williams. It's just interesting because Nebraska's after all of these wide receivers. Where does Kobe Smith stack up on the board? Kobe Smith, six one and a half, six foot two, uh, bigger bodied wide receiver, talented guy, can go up and get the ball, can fight for it over the middle. I think someone that Nebraska likes uh, quite a bit, but just relative to the other wide receivers for Keith Williams, it'll just be interesting if, if the door is open, does Kobe Smith commit this weekend if things go well? Uh, he's talked about trying to hold off until the end of his senior season, but he also mentioned that if school that he really likes and he feels like it's a great opportunity, he might just jump on it. So he's someone that you're, you're going to want to watch for sure. And then the other third official visitor that we, we know of that's confirmed is, is David Alston a linebacker out of Minnesota who is just the total opposite of these two guys from California in that they're being recruited by USC, UCLA, schools in their backyard in a state which turns out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of recruits. In Minnesota, which turns out dozens of uh, maybe a dozen D1 football players a year. But fine bass fishermen. (laughs) Many more than that. (laughs) I don't know about David Alston's bass fishing. You might but check on that. I, I, will, I will look into that. It might be a great icebreaker. Um, so to speak. Alston. It's not, it's not ice fishing. Sorry, go ahead. Is without a, an offer from Minnesota at this point, which is kind of fascinating because um, P.J. Fleck has basically tried to lock up all of the talent in the cities as much as possible and is out recruiting in the Midwest, and they haven't offered David Alston. So either he doesn't fit what they see on defense, or I, I'm not entirely sure what the deal is there, but you see other three, four teams have. I mean, Wisconsin has, Utah has. Other schools have, have gone out and made that offer. He went out and tried to, to get an offer from Stanford at a camp this summer. I think Nebraska's pretty intrigued by Alston. I think that if they could get a commitment from Alston, they probably would take it, if only because then they can just focus all of their energy on getting one of those guys and Bo Calvert and Micah Parsons, and you've got maybe your your guy in Alston that you can bring along a little bit more slowly as you try to get somebody that you want to play very early in their career to go along with them. The numbers allow them to do that, uh, especially if they're not going to take a quarterback or a running back in this class. Uh, so there's... 
there's some ways that they can finesse those numbers to take two linebackers. And Alston's pretty intriguing to me, and I'm curious, you know, how that's going to go. One other name I want to throw in here real quickly. Chris Curry, running back from Fort Myers area, had said previously, and, and Reggie Davis had even subtweeted about Chris Curry coming out for this specific game. With everything that's happened in Florida, with the storms, it's unclear right now if he's going to be able to make that visit. And so we've got three guys for sure that are expected to be in here. Maybe Chris Curry shows up, maybe he doesn't. LSU commit, four-star running back, someone Nebraska likes quite a bit, but sitting pretty far behind. They'd have to make up a lot of ground. So that's going to be something to, to keep an eye on later in the week and hopefully be able to, to confirm one way or the other whether he's going to be able to make it up here for this game. But that's kind of the run-through of who's here this weekend. Um, other recruiting news of note, the first crystal ball in over a year, non-Nebraska, related to Brendan Radley Hiles came in for Clemson. He took an unofficial visit to Clemson in part because he needed to get out of Florida for the weekend with the storm coming in, went with some friends to Clemson. Uh, I think that the visit went well. It sounds like there's some interest there. I really don't see Clemson as a huge obstacle in Nebraska's continued efforts to hang on to Radley Hiles. And I especially think if we go back to what started this whole segment before, if Nebraska's in it with Micah Parsons, Micah Parsons and Brendan Radley Hiles talk. I don't think that Micah Parsons is jumping in the boat at the same time that Brendan Radley Hiles is jumping out. So I, I think that there's definitely some crossover there. Anything you guys would like to add? That's good information uh, to reward you for that. I would tell you that the Indians won 5-3 to three to push the winning streak to 21 games. I, I watched it, and okay. I celebrated silently okay. by doing a little fist pump and then was right. going to mention it at the end of the uh, the, the podcast. But I, I appreciate that. Brunson, any, any recruiting thoughts? The Alston's probably the most interesting one to me. Um, you know, the fact that he doesn't have a Minnesota offer – I, I think the maybe part of the thinking is there. I know that when he was at the opening regional in Chicago, he weighed in a little bit lighter than maybe what he had been listed um, prior to going there. Um, I know he's. I, I think he's a multi-sport guy, so that that tends to happen in the spring. But I, I think he's a guy that's athletic, probably a little bit overlooked. Probably doesn't fit what Minnesota does defensively, so that it's not a not a huge surprise, but you know when Nebraska can go into a place like Minneapolis and pull out a guy, um, I, you know I, I think it's a good thing. I mean, you look at J.D. Spielman was kind of the same boat where Minnesota had multiple looks at him, didn't offer, and you know I, I know it's, it can be a different situation, but I think Austin's a similar type of story where Minnesota had multiple looks at him in camp, saw him, and made it pretty obvious that they weren't going to offer. And I think he does fit that 3-4 spot pretty well. He's a rangy athlete, can run really well, play in space. Um, And like you said, I think if you get him, then it really does free you up to potentially go after, you know, basically just go all in on on Micah Parsons. I mean, Raymond Scott's still out there, I guess, if you wanted to add an inside linebacker since Greg Simmons left. But um, you know what he ultimately does he, visit wise too I mean I, I don't really know what other place really makes sense for him right now besides ending up at Nebraska 
Yeah, I would not be surprised if Nebraska walks away with a commitment from this weekend. Austin would be the, the favorite of the three. Addison would be a very, very, very uh, long shot. And Smith would be somewhere in the middle. So, uh, good opportunity for Nebraska to get back on the board in the, the recruiting realm. Jump away from uh, recruiting into some some athletic department news, I guess. I don't know how else to, to describe it. A coach got extended. Schedules were, were made. Uh, we'll jump in with the, the extension first. And uh, I know this is something that you've kind of been chasing for a while, Brian. And so... We'll let you have at it. Yeah. Um, Riley now has a four-year deal. It's through 2020. Basically, no changes to his contract that he had originally when he first came to Nebraska, aside from just adding a year. And I know there's some people out there that are like, oh, why are you going to add a year? Well, almost every coach in a Power 5 school has at least a four- or five-year working deal. And so this is pretty standard stuff. I was amazed, and I told you guys behind the scenes, and I didn't really talk about it a lot myself because you're kind of trying to track it down and you don't want to be real public about it. But I was surprised there was such little talk that he hadn't had his contract updated from the original, considering how big a deal we made about Tim Miles and not getting a contract you know, extension for a year. and. With Bo Pelini, it felt like every year we were monitoring if he got an extension. So this is just, it's standard stuff, and his buyout clause is very reasonable for those people that like to look at that sort of thing for Nebraska. So I don't think Nebraska has put themselves out um, in a dangerous spot here. And, you know, I don't know how much recruits pay attention to it or whether opposing coaches really use it like, hey, this guy's only got three years on his deal. But I do think it's worth a little something that a recruit knows. This guy at least is signed up for as long as I might be there, even though we all know in college sports that only means so much. Did they um, the, the time, you know, that I know kind of raised some eyebrows because it comes out, you know. During, after an Oregon loss, but it, yeah. They signed it in August, right. so it's, it's not like it was a... It happened this week. And you guys, the contracts on our site, people who are interested in just kind of the verbiage that goes in a a big-time contract like that might want to check it out. But they'll notice the date at the top of it when it was actually offered to Riley was like January 30th or something like that. So, I mean, this happened long ago. And Riley didn't happen to sign it till August 1st. I don't know all the reasons for that. It probably might just be they didn't get to it. But uh, got lost on his desk. Yeah, but that's uh, I mean, so that yeah, that that's the important thing that you bring up. That they, it's not like oh they lost and we're down forty two fourteen at half and then they went into Sean Icor's office Monday and they're like let's get this guy an extension. They, it, that's what they talked about at halftime. Yeah. Eugene was getting out of contract hammered out. And that's why I think the players came out and played so well in the second half. They realized he gave they weren't worried about Mike Riley's future. <laughs> Well, Mike came out at halftime. He said, listen, guys, I just, I'm going to sign this right in front of you. (laughs) And everybody went nuts. And then, uh, you know, they converted a fourth and ten on the first drive and things started looking up. So the other other kind of off-the-field news, Big Ten schedules come out yesterday. There's much hand-wringing and gnashing of teeth about 20... 21, 2020, 
no Black Friday game, apparently. No longer getting Iowa at the end of the year. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to speak for you guys, but the topic bores me more than alternate jerseys and also when black shirts are going to be handed out. So um, tell me if I'm wrong because I would love to be convinced otherwise. I think I would rather talk about Nebraska's future schedule, at least in the sense of the the Black Friday game, than I would hearing people ask me why Nebraska doesn't hit enough in practice. So I think there's there's still something out there for me that's worse. Would you like to hear about my fantasy lineup and then I just added <laughs> Andre Ellington as a backup right What ads did you make this week? Man? I added Andre Ellington. Did you play <laughs> did you play golf this week or can you give me a shot by shot of your front nine too? Yeah. I'd love to hear about that. What I'm thinking about with my bracket. Yeah. Yeah. You you got going to the sweet sixteen <laughs> this year. Um let me try to play devil's advocate, I guess. Okay. Um, I'm going to stare at you while you do. No, I, I, I feel very much like you do about it, but I do. I, I grew up with the Black Friday game as you guys did, and I have, there's a certain charm to it and a certain, like, I don't know. This is like your, your mom goes out and shops on Black Friday, and, uh, and then there's this game at 11 or 2.30, and it's just got this routine to it that I always kind of enjoyed. And... I think it's a 50-50 split, maybe probably a little bit more in favor of Black Friday. On social media, I asked the question, or do you care, do you not care? And it was basically 50-50. I think if you set it to the general public, there'd probably be more people who say, I wish they would keep playing on Black Friday. Um, that's what I'm used to. That's kind of a Nebraska tradition. But I think the biggest thing here is, and the thing where it's going gonna, it's gonna to stab some people, is I think it sounds like Wisconsin and Iowa might be that game for those two years and Nebraska Minnesota will be on that Saturday and I I, I just think that's going to hurt some Oscar fans to see and to realize kind of their place it, it's already known but it's just another example of this is kind of your place in the league right now Ohio State Michigan is the big dog game it will be there at the main table you're kind of off at the kids table and if Nebraska were playing at a higher level, I don't think they would have got moved from Black Friday. I don't. Even though I don't think the ratings are going to be what they used to be. Nebraska, this year it's on, what, FS1 at 3.30. Those aren't going to carry the same weight as um, being on ABC like Nebraska was. So they already lost a little something. And it's not – I don't think it affects recruiting or anything. I mean, I don't think it's a deal where recruits are going to be like, oh, man, they don't, they're not playing on Black Friday. This changes my opinion on it. And, that stuff's kind of nonsense, but I can see where there's some disappointment. I think that a couple things. One, wasn't it Iowa a few years ago with their administration and their coaching staff complaining about playing on Black Friday and how they preferred that the series would go to Saturday? Initially, so I, they've I, warmed to it, though. Yeah, I kind of kind of funny that they have now could be potentially playing yeah. Wisconsin on that day. The thing that I think is the biggest loss is that Nebraska loses a national television audience guarantee. I mean, because they, they're they one of four or five games being played on that Friday, and now you're going to move into, you know, the hypothetical situation of casual fans sitting around, oh, do I want to watch Ohio State and Michigan play in either the Big House or the Shoe, or do I want to watch P.J. Fleck in Minnesota, mm-hmm. assuming he's still there, uh, in Nebraska? So, it... 
I think that's kind of a loss. Uh, I don't see it as any sort of, you know, it doesn't hurt recruiting. It doesn't it doesn't hurt really anything other than it's just a another tradition Nebraska will no longer have. Um, and an opportunity that I think it loses with that national television audience. But by that point, though, and, and this is kind of what I've been thinking about, you know, five years from now, what's the landscape of TV on college football even going to look like? I mean, Hulu. Is, yeah, I mean, you're going to be watching on Hulu or Facebook. Or, They're the worst streaming service. Uh, Am I wrong on that? Hulu? Yeah. I, I don't know. So they'll probably get paired with the Do you, you have Hulu, right? I never watch it. Okay. Well, have it's, you it's, have you watched anybody else attempt to watch it? No. Every three minutes, there's a commercial for three minutes. And so it's just kind of the worst, most disjointed. And it's not even like the breaks that you would have during a television episode. It's just at any point in time during those three minutes. I would assume that they would probably run it a little bit differently than, you would say, assume? watching reruns of Arrow or any other, um, <laughs> <Arrow>. <laughs> any other shows. I would like to you state for the record, I did not watch Arrow on Hulu. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, if it's going to be on FS1, I mean, do you do you get more benefit by being an 11 a.m. kick on a Saturday, or, or I don't know. Like, I, I think it's just kind of too early to know that, and I think that's kind of why the whole conversation bores me a little bit. I mean, yes, it's going to matter. Yes, I think it matters more that Nebraska's got Oklahoma, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Michigan State in a single year. But I'm not going to lose my crap over it to borrow your um, your famous saying. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to lose my crap over it like five years from now. The, five years ahead. The Husker athletic department though did do an about face on this one. I mean, they a, a few months ago they were on the record as saying they're okay with Friday night. Oh uh, yeah, this is just a total disaster from a. And then, you know, sound it, it, it kind of got it. There was a lot of noise. And so really, there was this, okay, got to back away from that. And then the other day, an i statement on Huskers.com, he says, you know, we're worried about health and, and this stuff. And I just, that particular sentence, I, I know Mike Riley prefers playing on Saturday, and I get it during the course of the season. But the Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving football has always been kind of a special time where you have to adjust. I mean, in the NFL, for heaven's sake, team play on Sunday, and then they come back and play four days later. So, I mean, that's just kind of the way it works around Thanksgiving, and you got to deal with it. So I didn't really love that part of it, um, how they've kind of changed course so dramatically over a few months. But It's, it's the time-honored tradition of avoiding your in-laws and going shopping. I mean, the, you need that on Friday. That's not actually the case in-laws who listen to this podcast so um but yeah it's I, and thank you for listening yeah thank you for listening by the way um and you love them thanksgiving's great um <laughs> I, I but it will be interesting i think because I, I think nebraska still has the option to play it on friday with minnesota if they want yeah. to so who knows but I, I was just it was interesting watching people lose their crap yesterday about it they've done it since uh 1990 that was when the Street goes back to of playing on Friday, so it it will break up a long, a long uh, streak, kind of like the Indians. They're gonna get their streak broken up eventually. We assume. I don't know, but think all things come to an end is my point. 
<laughs> oh, and that incredibly somber note. Uh, anything that we need to get in this week that we have not discussed? Isaac Copeland. That's the biggest news oh, of the yeah. day yesterday. Well, here, let me let me get the timer. Set the timer. So yesterday, we're going two minutes. Uh, Nebraska basketball learned that they would be getting the services of Isaac Copeland for the entirety of the 17-18 basketball season. The Georgetown transfer filed a waiver with the NCAA to uh, be eligible immediately at the start of the season. He won that appeal uh, and therefore will be in the lineup for Nebraska in November. Uh, Big, big, big win for a team that's going to face a really tough start to the season. Uh, That December schedule where they have to play Kansas, Creighton, Minnesota, and Michigan State uh, would be very, very tough without a veteran presence like Copeland in the front court. So getting him, getting him acclimated and comfortable with the teammates on the floor will be uh, a good thing for Nebraska because they, they need a little bit of front court depth. He's, he's a guy that can play a three or a four and really create some matchup issues. He's played a lot of games in the Big East. Um, so that was you know, some much uh, you know, well-received news by the basketball team yesterday. Got to talk to Copeland a little bit. He's been back on the court. Uh, also had back surgery in February. He's back full go now and, and feeling pretty good. So, um, you know, anytime you can get a former five-star recruit on the floor and you maybe weren't expecting to have him out there, that's always a good thing. So, um, yeah, that, that's the that's your Nebraska ball two minutes. Was uh, I think Schaefer made the joke first. Was Kirk Ferentz uh, angry about the decision, the ruling that he could have that extra year? Yeah, you've been uh, – Bagging on Iowa for a couple weeks now. I mean, it comes easy, I guess. You don't become the longest tenured head coach in the Big Ten without a little butt hurt. <laughs> okay. It's a good quote to finish on. It certainly <laughs> certainly seems like it. All right, well, with uh, wrapping up with the Kirk Ferentz butt hurt, I guess, uh, we will <laughs> come to you next week. I'm... Just trying to pull this together now. We will come to you next week after Nebraska plays Northern Illinois. Certainly should have some recruiting information. We'll have a better understanding of Nebraska football, maybe with the the third game, one that has less uh, <laughs> closer to understanding, less polarizing halves. Yeah, forty-seven to forty game or something like that. Oh, we need to make predictions. Good, good point. Oh, okay. Uh, forty-seven to forty is no, <laughs> You're leading us off. I think that's gonna that that would be too much for people to take here. I, I think Nebraska is gonna play a solid game on de, on defense. Not a perfect game by any means, but 41 to 20. I'll say Nebraska wins by 21 and comes out early, establishes himself, and just you know it's a solid win. They need that. They need to get some other guys on the field too. You know, get them some touches. Jalen Bradley, all that stuff. Give me uh, 38 to 21 and the Nebraska cover. You guys have some pretty high scoring. I mean, I, I get Nebraska. Well, you watched the first two weeks. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> this is the worst quarterback situation Nebraska faces outside of maybe Minnesota this year. It's two headed, though. That doesn't mean either head's good. I mean, I, I think that Nebraska's defense should look pretty good here, in part because I question whether Northern Illinois is going to be able to to throw it on them well enough. Um, They do have a a pretty good running game, and so they're going to be tested in that regard. 
And I'm also curious if Nebraska is going to put up a ton of points too. So I kind of like a little bit lower scoring. I'll go 31 to 10. All right. I was kind of wondering if you're going to go like 17-14 or something like that. <laughs> something really close. 17-3. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we, we've got our predictions in. Everybody thinks Nebraska is going to win. Currently, BC is 2-0 on the year in his predictions. So he's uh, he's streaking right along while Brunson and I try to pick ourselves up off the mat after the uh, the Nebraska-Oregon game. So and This is a guy that likes celebrating wins, too, and, and various positive things. So you had a little strut going on when you came in today, I noticed. You didn't punt anything into the ceiling, but... No, I, <laughs> I, had, I had no strut. Um, I mean, I did say 42 to 34 last yeah, you, week. Yeah, you did almost hit that on the, uh, on the nose. I, that was a case where I like to predict odd football scores, you maybe noticed. Like, I don't mm-hmm. like that general, like... 35-14 type score, like like 36-16, to 16, just to be different, and that's where it cost me. If I would have just been straight and narrow, I would have had it. You, you probably would have been deserving of like a little Ric Flair strut if you would have hit it on the nose, I yeah. think, though. Well, Husker fans hope we hit this one on the nose. Otherwise, the sky will be next to the ground next week at this time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, this has just been a riveting last <laughs> 10 minutes. And I think I'm just going to save everybody uh, from us and wrap this up. You can always get all the great work at Nebraska.247sports.com. There should be plenty of stuff coming out of practice tomorrow, injury updates, who's going to play. We'll visit uh, list and um, visit update list should be coming out tomorrow as well. We'll have some uh, some gambling tips of the Nebraska and Northern Illinois game for some of you renegades. And, of course, there will be all of our great coverage. And Sunday, there should be plenty of visit coverage as well. So be sure to, uh, to check back at Nebraska.247sports.com. If you are not a member of the site yet, we've got a fantastic deal going right now. I believe it costs you less than, what, less than, you know, a thing of candy, less than, than 20 ounces of pop. For a dollar, you can sign up and get a monthly subscription to Nebraska.247sports.com. That dollar will give you access to Steve Wiltvong and his reasoning for his Michael Parsons pick. That dollar will give you access to all of the visit news and all of the visit recaps that will be coming up this weekend. It will get you access to the VIP room that comes out every Monday without fail, sometimes at varying times throughout that Monday morning. Uh, and, and it's just what I think to be a, a pretty good bark. And so with that, uh, hopefully we come to you next time and the Cleveland Indians have 27 straight wins. Hopefully.